Virgil Walker serves as the executive director of operations for G3 Ministries. He served as the discipleship pastor at Westside Church in Omaha, Nebraska for six years. He is the co-host of the Just Thinking podcast. He's completed his master's of business, business administration. He's currently attending Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary where he's working toward the completion of his Master of Divinity. In addition, Virgil is heavily involved in jail ministry, sidewalk ministry at abortion clinics, and street evangelism. Virgil and his wife, Tamika, have been married for 25 years and have three children. Would you welcome Virgil? Thanks, man. Well, good morning. It's a pleasure to be with you um, and just experience worship on the Lord's Day. It's a joy to be with the people of God uh, on, on the Lord's Day here uh, at Fellowship Church. Um, man, it was awesome to, to uh, watch Pastor Eric uh, baptize those two believers and uh, particularly his son. I about lost it on the first row there. Thinking, what a joy to be able to baptize your son uh, and to see him come into the eternal family of God uh, and, and, and bear witness to that before uh, the congregation. That's a blessing and an honor. Well, with that said, uh, it is my honor again to be with you. I'm going to do a little bit of what Pastor Eric did and just say thank you. Um, Daryl and I get the wonderful benefit of, of traveling and uh, speaking uh, in various places and spaces, and I can, I can definitely tell you there's, there's no better place to be than at Fellowship Church. Uh, here in Lubbock, Texas. I, I cannot imagine ever having to say that uh, until I arrived here. And I, I learned a new term uh, on the way in, uh, and that is being overkinded, right? Did I get that right, Brother Paul? Overkinded. And uh, you all have definitely demonstrated that for us. We have been overwhelmed uh, by your kindness, your generosity, uh, your graciousness. It's been a joy to be uh, with you. I want to, again, just publicly thank uh, Pastor Eric, uh, the elders, uh, John Sharp, Stephen Butts. Appreciate you, you men so much uh, for being a part of getting Daryl and me here. Uh, and then the work behind the scenes uh, that one uh, Colin Lundstrom uh, put together is absolutely breathtaking. Uh, to corral me and Daryl uh, is really a challenge in and of itself. Uh, with the various duties that Daryl has at a worldwide ministry like Grace to You, uh, and, the, and the duties that I have at, at G3 uh, to uh, you know, uh, whip us into shape uh, via email uh, is, is, some, is some work. And so uh, just want to thank Colin specifically and publicly uh, in the way that he's been a blessing uh, to us and, and in getting us here. It's with that that my intention today is to, is to is really do something a little bit more expository on the Lord's Day, uh, really to open up Scripture and unpack. We've done a lot of topical thoughts and ideas during, during, the, during the, uh, the last day and a half, and uh, we, we enjoy doing that. I love what Daryl did this morning with kind of anchoring us uh, in the text of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to revisit that and take a second stab at that, if you will. Uh, we're going to do it in a way I, I'm hopeful uh, that honors the Lord. With that, if you have your copy of God's Word, I'm going to ask you to open to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And when you have that, if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word. Ephesians chapter 2 will begin in verse, I'll begin in verse 8, though the focus of our time together will be verses 11 through 22. 
This is the word of God, and it reads as follows. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross thereby killing the hostility and he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you're also being built together into a dwelling place, a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. As you're seated, join me in a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you for your love for us. We're grateful for the fact that you, in eternity past, sent your one and only Son as a sacrifice to die for our sins, to be raised from the dead, so that those who would call upon the name of the Lord would be saved. Grateful for this gathering of believers. Grateful for the, the opportunity to Enjoy the, the beauty of koinonia fellowship with one another as, as the one body of Christ. Grateful for those who are here. Pray that you would, by your spirit, stir their hearts to the, to the, the proclamation, the exhortation, the exposition of your word. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, again, it's, it's an honor to be before you. And as we uh, jump into the text of scripture, I want to just briefly bid you greetings uh, from my bride, Tamika Walker. Uh, she's at home uh, there in Douglasville, Georgia, and um, uh, she is holding it down. We've got three children, uh, two that are in Omaha, Nebraska. Hence, for those of you who know the podcast, why I'm called Omaha is because I'm from Omaha, Nebraska. And when we started the podcast, uh, Daryl would just say, hey, Omaha, what's up? And for some reason, it just caught. Um, I, I was at a, at a G3 conference, in fact, uh, getting a cup of coffee. I was literally ordering a cup of coffee. I've got a special concoction that Paul probably has memorized by now. And um, as I was getting that uh, prepared, someone turned to me and heard my voice recognized and said, you're Omaha. And I thought, yeah, I guess that's about right. So I, I guess that, that stuck. And uh, needless to say, Daryl and I have been overwhelmed by the impact of the podcast and we've been blessed by those of you who've come up to us and have said that it's been a blessing to you uh, and that it has served you uh, well we're grateful for that ask you to pray for all of my children and again as, as I watched uh, Pastor Eric baptize 
his son. You know, there, there's, there's, there's some of your children who follow the Lord and some who are not yet. And so I, I kind of choked up for that reason. I'm just waiting for, for some of the last ones to just come on through. So it's a blessing to share in that joy with you this morning, brother. With that, I, I want to jump into our text as, with regard to the book of Ephesians. Theologians throughout church history have found the letter to the church at Ephesus incredibly noteworthy. It's Martin Luther who characterized it as among the best and noblest of books in the New Testament. Today, men like Dr. John MacArthur and others have established, used the book of Ephesians actually to establish the early days of their ministry, walking through the entirety of, of study on this important book. This epistle to the church at Ephesus actually for me is, is one of my favorite Pauline epistles. Absolutely one of my favorite. And there are numerous reasons why any follower of Christ uh, upon reading this book would, would, would have an affinity for this particular letter. The letter begins with a concise description of God's cosmic plan of salvation. His, his plan to redeem mankind, to save humanity. When it comes to the, the majesty, the vastness, the beauty of God's sovereign plan of redemption, in my estimation, there's not another book that actually characterizes it and expresses it more clearly than Paul does in the very first chapter of this important letter. I, I, I want to encourage you. I believe every Christian should meditate and read this particular book, particularly the first chapter, on a regular basis. It, it's a reminder of what God has done. Our conscience should absolutely be overwhelmed by the realization that God and his sovereignty had a plan to ransom you and me. Just pause to think about that. The sovereign God of the universe, prior to saying, let there be light, and the most massive explosion experienced to that time took place as everything came into being. He thought about you. He knew that you and I would be sinful, what we would train wreck every plan that we would, that we would absolutely uh, let go of the dominion that he's given us, that we, would, that we would sin, that we would fall, that we would mess up. And before he said, let there be light. He thought of you and me. That should overwhelm your soul. You should wake up daily in absolute misunderstanding and a lack of coherent thought about a sovereign God who would think of you in that way and order a plan for your redemption. Consider the first chapter that goes on to explain the, the triune nature of salvation. This is where Paul explains to the church at Ephesus that salvation is, is not, this is not a novel concept. This is not some random idea, some after-the-fact thought on the part of God looking around to see, hey, things have, have gone wrong, we've got to now do something. But this salvation was the plan of God in eternity past. God's decision was not a last-minute one, rather Salvation from God is in eternity past. You see that in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. 
That salvation is a work of God's Son, Jesus Christ, redeeming man in time. Verses 7 through 12. And then the sealing of the Holy Spirit confirming our future reward in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. Paul then begins Ephesians chapter 2 by outlining man's condition in time. It's as if the, the cosmic curtain has been pulled back in chapter 1, and we, we get to look to see what was, what was the intention of, of the triune God in eternity past. And then as we turn the page to chapter 2, we see the need for that plan as we peer ever more clearly into man's condition in time that required redemption to begin with. Chapter 2, verse 1 opens by saying, and you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the, this world, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and mind. We were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Paul writes in chapter 2 about our, our separateness, our separation from God. It's, it's absolutely obvious from the start. How more separate can you be than being dead in trespasses and sins? In fact, in chapter 2, verse 3, Paul reveals that we were children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That, that our lives lived out in the, in the sinful manner that, it, that, that, that they had been were worthy of God's absolute wrath poured out on us. But instead of condemning all of humanity in, in the death that we rightly deserve for our sins against the holy God, there's a, there's a crack of light that is shown forth in verse 4 where we read, but God, being rich in mercy. <laughs> you, you ought to stop right there and, and, and just have some church. You, you ought to stop right there and, and just begin to, begin to give God praise. You, you ought to stop right there and, and joy should overwhelm your heart. But God, rich in mercy, because of the love that he had for us. He ransoms us. He redeems us. After we've grasped all of what has come before us, we, as we look at, at what's come before us, we've looked at God's cosmic plan, as we've looked at where mankind is in time, we come to verse 11 of chapter 2, where Paul is, has made the, 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 the important points so that you can grasp the magnitude of what he's about to share in verse 11. Therefore, he says, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that at one time you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. However, before we walk through this section of Scripture, allow me just to provide some points of reference for you. So for those of you who, who are note takers, let me outline what we'll do in the course of the next few verses. In verse 11, we're going to remember who we were, who we were. In verse 12, we're going to remember where we were. 
this is more than, than just location. This is more than just a destination. This is about our distance, our separateness from God. Then in verses 13 and 14, we're going to remember to rejoice in what God has done. We're going to rejoice in what God has done. In order to grasp the, the, the change and the depth of our predicament, Paul begins in verse 11 with a therefore. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. He wants us to remember who we were. Why is that important? Why is it important for us to remember who we were? Here we were, caught up in this, this, this majestic, cosmic plan of God uh, to, to save us, to, to ransom us, to redeem us. Then, then we recognize our, our condition only to see that God, in, in His goodness and in His kindness, he, he once again saves us. We're filled with that great joy. But Paul wants us to pause for just a second to remember where we were. Remember who we were. The reason should be self-evident, but if it's not, let me walk you through the idea. If you've been a believer for any lengthy period of time, it's very easy to remember or, or, or not to think about your past. It, it's very easy for us to, to, to see ourselves, even in our sinful ways, in the very best light. If you've ever encountered, we, uh, Daryl, and, Daryl and I do biblical counseling. If you ever listen to someone explain their, their sinfulness to you or, or what they've done wrong, they, they kind of, you know, I, I did this, but, what, what I, and they try to justify what they've done. We'll always have the natural tendency to do that for ourselves. We'll always have the natural tendency to cause our situation, our circumstance to look a little better than it does. It's our natural inclination. Add to that, we live in a very narcissistic and self-absorbed culture. And, and while we have a tendency to, to think that it's worse today than it was yesterday, we just have new ways of inventing our narcissism or, or at least expressing our nar narcissistic behavior than they did in the early church. For us, it's more of a social media culture. We get, we get to watch the, the, the right angles. Have you ever, have you ever been in a, in a vehicle with a bunch of ladies and, and they're trying to take the right angle for their selfie to get the best? I, I, I'm blown away by how that happens. Uh, 20 pictures of the same face and the same angle just to get, nobody's laughing, just to get the best light. Add to that, we've got these new things called filters where you can make yourself look like someone totally different than who you are. All of this in an effort to create for ourselves the best light. We understand all too well what it means to, pre to present ourselves as something better, more likable than who we are. But here we are in the first century, and Paul seems the same human condition, the same deceitfulness about ourselves to fool ourselves into thinking perhaps God did this cosmic plan of redeeming me because I'm really not that bad after all I, I'm kind of likable there's probably something he saw in me that that he didn't see in others yet and maybe he will but I'm I'm, I'm okay that same heartbeat is in each and every one of us but Paul wants us to remember who we were. 
Again, while in Paul's day they didn't have the benefit of the curse of social media, the human condition was no different. Without, without the mirror of the Word of God, without the mirror of, of God's Word, we have no way to really examine ourselves. It's important that we do so. It's important that we recall who we were. You'll be able to completely appreciate in, in light of who you are what God has actually done. When we look at the world that we live in, very few individuals can, can deny what's out there. It's, it's, it's not difficult, rather, to, to look out in the culture and see out there it looks really crazy. There's a lot of chaos out there. But as we've spent time this weekend looking at the sufficiency of God's Word, we have to come to the clear understanding that, that God's Word is both a mirror and a window. It is first a mirror that allows us to examine what's on the inside of our own human heart. And Paul is challenging the people at the church of Ephesus, remember who you were. Take the mirror of the Word of God and examine who you were. While at the same time, understanding that the sufficiency of the Word of God allows you to look through the window and examine culture for all that it is. What is this intended to accomplish? Well, it's intended to accomplish everything that we do Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. Why do you attend a, a gathering of God's people on the Lord's Day? Well, you do so in an effort to hear the gospel preached. Why is it important that the gospel is preached? It's important that the gospel is preached so that you can remember that you and I were sinners in need of salvation. And that the beauty of the gospel is that we have come to a place of repenting of our sin and placing our full faith in Christ and that the beauty of the oneness that that creates is the joy that we experience on the Lord's day. That's why we gather. We gather to do the very thing that Paul is charging the people to do in the church of Ephesus. We gather to remember who we were. For us, it's important not to stay there. It's important to move forward. Again, looking at verse 2, Paul says, Remember you Gentiles in the flesh known as the uncircumcision by what is known as the circumcision, which is produced in the flesh by hands. Now, being known as the uncircumcision by the people of Israel. This was, this was more than just, a, just an insult. Abraham was circumcised as a sign of God's covenant people. You have this in Genesis chapter 17, verses 9 through 14. This was an external manifestation of one's devotion to God. Some of the people of Israel actually took this covenant so seriously that they mistook the outward symbol as a point of salvation. Some felt if, if, if simply circumcision alone would, would bring salvation, it was, near, it was merely an outward sign of a desire by God for the heart of the people of God to actually be circumcised. You see this time and time again in, 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 the, in the scripture where David is, is about to attack Goliath in 1 Samuel 17, 26. He uses this same thought process as well. He, he's standing there with the man and he says, what shall be done for this man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach for Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? 
what was David saying? He was simply uh, identifying the fact that those who were outside of the covenant people of God, they, they were separate. How dare they speak against a people who know their God? The idea being portrayed here is one who is unclean or polluted or carnal. More significantly, that they are outside of God's covenant. And, and David expresses his contempt for anyone who is not a member of God's covenant people. And he does so in very explicit terms in this instance. As Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, particularly to the Gentile believers, he wants them to understand this, the nature of their separateness, their, 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 their distinct uh, uniqueness as a, as a people who are not connected to the covenant people of God. Paul then recalls where you were, where we were. In verse 12, this once again goes beyond the concept of location. He says this in verse 12, remember that at, at that time you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Paul wishes to remind the Christians in Ephesus, particularly the Gentile Christians, that they were formerly far from Christ. It's not in an effort to add insult to injury, right? Okay, you, you, were, you were called the, the uncircumcised. You were far from Christ. This is, this is an even greater dimension. Let me unpack this idea. There are actually two ideas intertwined here. Without Christ, there's actually no hope, and you are without God in the world. And the concept of the separation here is central. You have been alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise. You have, having no hope and without God in the world, you've got a separation in, from Christ. All of this in between that idea is the idea of, a, of foreigners to this covenant group of people that are a part of God's family. Allow me to kind of separate these two parts. First is our isolation from God. Our isolation from God. This is significant. And it's significant because Christ is central to everything. When you understand who Christ is, the gravity of our separation could not be more clear. I, I, I want to I slow down here because I want anyone who might be here who is not in Christ yet to understand who it is you're separated from. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. And he... God the Father put all things under his feet, Christ the Son, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fulfills all in all. A, a text of scripture you may be familiar with, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him and without him was not anything made in him was life and that life was the light of men the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it this is Christ 
This is the preeminent one. This is Christ. This is the promised Messiah. This is Christ, the greater prophet, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. This is Christ. This is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. Apart from him, no light dawns. Apart from him, nothing holds together. And the whole known universe actually collapses upon itself and folds back into the nothingness that it is apart from Christ. This is Christ. If you're separated from him, there's no more dire situation that you could be experiencing. There's no worse condition that you can actually engage in than to be separated from Christ. Earlier I mentioned the separation was in two ways. One is a separation from God. The other is a separation, and bracketed in between is this separation from God's people, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise. Our separation from God inevitably means that we'd be separated from God's people. And the separateness can be no more evidenced, especially in the first century, than the way that, that, that Jews and Gentiles actually worshipped. While there were God-fearing Gentiles, overall the vast majority of Gentiles engaged in some form of a pagan, idolatrous worship. For those who were God-fearing, th there was even a separateness with them as well. In fact, Amplifying this idea, Paul writes about the, the, the worship in verse 14. He speaks to the fact that, they've been, that, that the dividing wall of hostility has been removed. What is he speaking of? What's well, a reference to temple worship? In the temple, the Jews had a literal wall separating them and dividing them, preventing Gentiles from coming near and fellowshipping with the God of Israel. Let me explain to you this, this, this idea in, in, in a little bit of, a, of, a, uh, of an explanation of sorts. Temple worship. There were courts of separation. The temple was constructed of courts. You had the court of the priests where only male members of the tribe of Levi were permitted. You had the court of Israel where only male Jews were permitted. You had the court of women. Any Jew could enter but no woman could go beyond the point where they had the court of women. In addition to that, five steps down from the level of the Jewish courtyard, and there was a five-foot-high stone barrier that extended all around the temple enclosure. Then another 14 steps down were to a level known as the court of the Gentiles. Now this is all according to Jewish historian Josephus, that the, that the walls dividing Jews from Gentiles was marked at intervals. There was a stone inscription that stated no foreigner was permitted to enter the Jewish enclosure upon penalty of death. The statement read as follows, quote, no foreigner may enter within the barricade which surrounds the sanctuary and enclosure. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death, end quote. Ephesians 2.12, remember you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. There couldn't be no more dire situation, no sadder condition for us to be in. And, and just as that news has been made clear, as Paul has penned these words, has, has written this to the people, and, and, and they're, they're gathering and understanding their condition. 
Paul moves on to explain in verse 13 and 14 that they need to rejoice for what God has done. Verse 13 reads this way, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now as we, we look at verse 13, we have those two words again, those two words that should be a shining, beaming light that should give us ever greater joy, but God. This is but a reflection of what we read in verse 4. But now, but now in Christ Jesus, we have been redeemed. We have been ransomed. Here we have but God, but God. Or verse 4 rather, we have but God. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love which, which he has loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins with which, which we once walked He's made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you have been saved. The good news of the gospel is that we who were far off have been brought near, but now, verse 13, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near. I mentioned earlier that, that the gospel is not new. This is not a new novel concept. This is not a last-minute attempt on the part of God to, to figure out how to fix things. This was a plan of God at the outset. We see this in Acts chapter 2, verse 39, where, where Luke writes, For the promise is for you and for your children and for those who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Verse 13 says, You were brought near. But how, how were we brought near? How, how, how did this take place? What happened that enabled this to, 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 uh, to, to happen? It was by the blood of Christ. It was his sacrifice on the cross. It brought reconciliation. The beauty of this reconciliation is, is it's, it's twofold. It's, it's our reconciliation to God the Father and to one another. Our separation was not abolished by legislation from a government entity. It was not abolished by some march on the streets. It was not abolished by a rally or a riot. It was not abolished by a Supreme Court decision or a presidential proclamation. What abolished the wall of division and separation once and for all, bringing a people near to God and connected to one another is the blood of Jesus Christ. Consider verses 14 and 16, which read, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two I don't know how much more united we can be than to be considered to be in one new man one new body rather than two There's no more clear unity than that. As we follow the text in verses 17 and 18, we, we come to find out that, that, that God intended this to take place through Jesus Christ. Let's begin reading in verse 17. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. John Calvin said in his commentaries, he says this, quote, all that Christ has done towards effecting a reconciliation 
would have been of no service if the gospel had not proclaimed it. The importance of that is profound. Let me pause there and just help you to understand that. This unity would not have been made possible apart from the the truth of that gospel being preached. Again, I have to go back. There's there's, there's not some some extra uh, idea that needs to be noted. There's not some, some, some... tool or some some CRT or some ABC or DEF that's going to help us it is Christ and him crucified as as the world looks out and and, and tries to 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 reconcile people groups as, as the world tries to to fix what they see as unjust as they try to to append some word to the idea of justice Every attempt on their part will fall short because the only one able to do that is the one who's already done it, God the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. We are reconciled to God through Christ by His Spirit. That's the beauty of the gospel. Continuing a quote from Calvin, he says, and therefore the fruit of this peace has now been offered both to Jews and to Gentiles. Hence, it follows that to save Gentiles as well as Jews was the design of our Savior's coming. As the preaching of the gospel, which is addressed indiscriminately to both, makes abundantly manifest. What is, what is Calvin saying? Even those who were considered a part of the covenant people of God, what did they need? They needed the gospel. They needed to hear the gospel preached because in all of their attempts at law keeping they were still unable to to favorably keep the law in such a way that they would be redeemed with God there was still a, a chasm between them and God the Father that could only be bridged by the finished work of Jesus Christ and what about the the pagan idolatrous nature of the Gentiles they were separated from God their their, their separation was evidenced in numerous ways but they too needed the gospel preached so that they could understand the nature of their separateness, their condition before a holy God, that they could, they could indeed repent and place their full faith in Jesus Christ. This biblical truth could not be more evident. But there's a question that we need to ask in our day. Where do we see this kind of reconciliation expressed? It should be expressed in a local church. We should see the the, the unity, the beauty of of the gospel expressed in the multiplicity of of, of peoples that are in the halls of the the church, that that are gathered together here. Don't be fooled by those who are calling for multi-ethnic church services. What they're appealing to is a multicolored service. I can promise you that that even as we peer into this audience and see faces with the same level of melanin, if I were to go back into your history and identify where your people groups come from, this very church would be very multi-ethnic in nature as well. The goal of which has nothing to do with your ethnicity. If you go back and think about what what Paul has written to the church at Ephesus, it it is is not an effort to point to the differences that we have as people groups. The beauty is what God has done through Christ Jesus. In that we rejoice. 
And the byproduct of that is the beauty that we see on the Lord's Day in the multiplicity of ethnic groups that are here. As it pertains to the unity that, that uh, culture would, would try to create by segmenting people groups. This is absolute foolishness. It absolutely doesn't work. There's no more unity that we can have than what we have in the body of Christ. I've, I've said it time and time again. You and I, even though we may not share the same level of melanin, mine a little bit more. I mean, God blessed me a little bit more in that area than maybe some of you. But at the end of the day, if you are in Christ Jesus, I'm more your brother in Christ than your own blood relative who is outside of Christ. And the reality is, I'm your brother for eternity. So we better get used to one another. <laughs> we live in a culture that desires to replace the worship of God with the idolatry of self, a, a, a time where, where the, the desire is to blaspheme the work and act and beauty of the unity that we enjoy. They, they desire to blaspheme that by creating an alternate universe, by, by trying, to in, uh, trying to insert this idea of utopia that they have. They, they want to they usurp the power of God. They'll be unable to do so. It's important that we as believers are resolved in that issue. Like Aaron who provided Israel with a golden calf, unfortunately far too many evangelicals are also willing to adopt a substitute religion while claiming to lay hold to the real thing. It's imperative that we address these issues as we see aspects of evangelicalism embracing ideas of the culture. There's no more powerful thing that we could do than be under the preaching of the word of God. Those who remain faithful to that truth. It's been time and time again while I've been here, while Daryl and I have been here this weekend, that we've been blessed to hear that the, that the excitement of the growth here at Fellowship. And every time someone is getting ready to identify it, it's almost unanimously that they say, you know why, you know why things are growing here? It's incredible. It's just, it's just the, the preaching of the Word of God. We, we love hearing God's Word preached. And what it's doing is it's drawing others who want to hear that same truth preached to us. I'm excited for you. Because that's the plan of God from the beginning, that we would be the light of the world. That we'd be salt in a culture that ever needs correction. This is the beauty of the gospel. Let's continue reading in verses 19 through 22 as we close. The final verses read this way. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, listen, and members of the household of God. That should blow you away. Built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. If you are in Christ, this is absolutely true of you. If you've clung 
to the cross of Christ. You've indeed been reconciled by the finished work of Christ. This is true of you. However, if you are here today and you have yet to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, the wrath of God abides on you. The beauty is that today is the day of salvation. As you witness others come to a saving knowledge of Christ, understanding the depth of their separateness from God as they, as they dove into their sinful condition, God, through the gospel, illuminated their mind, caused their heart to, 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 to have an affection for truth, regenerating them, them coming to faith. And as a result of, of that faith, that proclamation of the gospel goes forth and they begin to, 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 to apprehend it, to hold it close, to make a profession of faith, to walk in salvation, and then to demonstrate that conviction in baptism. If you have never done that, today is the day of salvation for you. Again, it's a joy to be with you. My prayer would be that if you have not trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would do so today and that there are men who are here, the elders that are here, the pastor who is here, who would be happy to talk with you about making a profession of faith and walking in the light of the gospel, that same gospel that unifies this entire body of Christ in the oneness that he intends. Let me close with a word of prayer. Father God, I thank you for the truth of your word, for its impact on our lives, for the fact that we've been, we who are in Christ are, but are of one body, are united in that truth. Grateful for the chance to spend this weekend with these dear, precious people. My prayer would be that you would continue to bless the work here. You would continue to shine your face upon them. That they would experience greater measures of joy as they continue to be impacted by your word. For those who are believers, my prayer would be that as we leave this place, that we would not be a lamp that, that hides ourselves but that we'd be emboldened, equipped, and prepared to be a light to an ever-darkening world, to a world that needs to hear the proclamation of the gospel of truth, that they too may come into saving knowledge of you. We ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen.